What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. If you're not part of our closed community where there are a bunch of Dad Tired guys from all over the world who are talking to each other and encouraging each other to be the men God's called them to be, you definitely should be, man. It's not on social media, so there's no distractions, no ads, nothing that's going to cause you to think about things you shouldn't be thinking about, all that good stuff. We'd love to have you come be part of it. You can go to dadtired.com and then just click the community tab and join that community. It's a really awesome group of guys over there who talk about the podcast, meet up with each other. There are guys who are going to the retreat, who are planning out details of carpools and things like that. So anyway, lots of reasons to be over there. And we're always putting more reasons to be over there. So adding a bunch of stuff that you won't find on any other of the social media platforms. Make sure to go to dadtire.com forward slash community or just click the community tab and you'll be able to find it there. Today's conversation is due to made me as I was conducting this interview. It was really good. Sean did a great job. He really helped me think through things from a different perspective, which I appreciate. And uh, he's got a cool angle on how he's parenting. Definitely made me squirm. Sometimes we brought up some hard conversations and hard topics, but I think that's good for us, man, as like dads, it's just like get used to having uncomfortable conversations because there's going to be a ton of them with our kids. So anyway, Hopefully this conversation is helpful for you, maybe help you think through things, maybe in a different perspective or in a way you hadn't thought about before, but I think you'll enjoy it. Anyway, with all that being said, let's dive in. Sean, super pumped, man, to have you on the show. I mean, just for those who are listening to this and not watching it on YouTube, I just wish I, I want to try to describe the discrepancy in backgrounds here. You have a background that just looks so pro. You literally have, you got like a YouTube plaque behind you. Behind me, I've got two disheveled beds, little girl beds with some LED lights hanging out from under them. (laughs) Anyway, I'm fitting the dad tired theme here as we get started. I I was telling you right before I hit record that I had to scramble to like get this little makeshift desk set up. But all that said, we're here and I'm super pumped you're here, man. Tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Thanks for having me on. I'm a professor at Biola University. So I teach full time classes on evangelism classes on apologetics, cultural engagement. I teach one high school class part-time. I've just got a heart for the next generation. Hmm. And then I'm a communicator. I speak a lot. I have a YouTube channel. I use a ton of social media. And my lane is really just apologetics, worldview, and passing on faith to the next generation. I've got three kids from 18. My son just graduated high school down to my son who's just starting in fourth grade. He's nine. And then a daughter who's at sophomore in high school in the middle. I love it, man. So you're right in the thick of it, dude. Like you still have a ton of skin in this game of parenting and (laughs) and trying to be an intentional dad. And it's cool what you're doing because you are, I just went through, you have a new book that it hasn't been released or is it about to be released? Yeah. It just came out a few weeks ago. Okay, sweet. So I was looking through like the chapter list of that book and I'm like, you're talking about things that all of us parents who are trying to intentionally lead our family, we all want to talk about these things, or we at least want to like know what to say about these topics. And yet very few people in the Christian space are have the guts to talk about it. I mean, because you're talking about cultural issues. You're talking about things that are like, all right, these are the very real things that our kids are going to be talking about at their school, like today. And most of our kids just started school, whether that's elementary school or high school, junior high, whatever. Most of our kids are going to be having some of these conversations this week. I was looking through it and I'm like, man, as I'm reading through this, I want to have good answers for all these things. But some of them, it just feels overwhelming as a dad because I'm like, what topic are we on today? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, 
okay, is this the hill that we're all dying on today? Or is this the one like felt like we were all passionate about that last week and then that one moved on. So I guess I'm just rambling a lot here, but I guess I'm just one curious, like what's your heart behind it? And then where does a dad even start to try to engage in these kind of conversations? There's a few things that are good news. I want to make sure dads don't miss as difficult as these topics are. Number one, all the research I've seen going back to the early 70s shows that the number one influence on the worldview and belief system of young person is their parents. Mm. And in some ways, you could even say the dad maybe plays an outsized role. Mm. So that is huge. It's not Netflix. It's not Disney. It's not the educational system. It's not the church. Mm. We have the primary influence and those other factors typically seep in when we're not engaging kids the way scripture has designed us to. That's good, so man. we've got yeah. the power with our kids, so to speak. Now, second, what is the most effective way to pass on our faith? Well, first off, we have to be living in a way that our kids find compelling, mm. not perfect, but just a sense where they would look at our lives and say, you know what? I want what my mom and my dad have, yeah. whether it's in their relationship, whether it's in their life, whether it's in their faith. And now if I'm speaking to dads who are divorced, this doesn't end your ability to influence your kids. Please don't hear me say that, but that they would still look at you and say, you're living a life that is attractive to me. That's step yeah. number one. Step number two is through intentional spiritual conversations, hmm. faith is passed on. Spiritual conversations. And this shouldn't surprise us because go back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, where Moses says as a prophet to God, you know, he basically says, talk about these things when you wake up in the morning, when you walk along the road, when you sit together as a family, when you lie down. Intentional faith conversations. So I deal with thorny issues in this book, whether it's gun control, immigration, transgender identities, suicide. But dads, you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to be willing to ask the questions in a relationship to listen well and ultimately to bring kids back to scripture. Hmm. If we do that, I'm telling you, the studies show we have such a good chance of passing on our faith to our kids. Hmm. Man, I have a feeling that. So when you just said those three topics, that a lot of people's heart rate went up <laughs> listening to this. Cause like, oh geez, you know, cause you, I mean, they're landmines, right? They're just, they're landmines for a lot of people. It's like, I don't know, can we even say that? Are we allowed to even say those words right now? Cause it, you say that publicly on a podcast, it's being recorded and going to be listened to by thousands of people. It's like, oh geez, they're landmines. And you're just like, what I love about what you're doing is you're like, dude, let's just, let's step on them. Let's see what happens. You know, let's step on them with truth and with grace and, <laughs> and with biblical truth and, and see what happens here. But I was reading the introduction of your book and you said in there, which I thought was super interesting that they had done this like study or this poll on with these principals back in 1958. And they had asked them, high school principals were asked the following question. What are the main problems among your students? Top five answers were number one, not doing homework. Number two, not respecting property. As an example, throwing books. <laughs> number three, leaving the lights on and doors wide open. Number four, throwing spitballs in class. And number five, running through the halls. That's insane, dude. That's like, mm. <laughs> I mean, so many of us are like, man, can we just go back to that? And obviously, and you said this, like <laughs> life isn't, you know, it probably wasn't as that simple, right? It's, but 
dude, I mean, how far has the world changed since then? And so I guess even on these like topics that you just mentioned, even just those three, like gun control, the trans conversation, sexual identity. I can't remember what the other one you said, maybe immigration, like how do you even, how do you even start to have these conversations with your kids? Is it something you're letting them lead as far as like, they'll bring it up and now you're prepared. Are you initiating these kind of conversations? How does it look practically in your house? So some of both, sometimes at a meal, sometimes when we're driving, I've seen something in the news, I've been watching something, and I will intentionally engage my kids to think about a certain topic. Mm. So if something happens, uh, whatever it is, maybe it's politically, maybe it's culturally, and I find it interesting, I'll just say to my kids, I'm like, hey, saw the story today. What do you think? What are your impressions? And I just Mm. leave it open. I don't preach it. I don't tell them what to think. I start a conversation. The other thing is I listen for my kids to say certain things. And then I just jump on it and go, okay, wait a minute. Tell me about that. What do you mean? Here's an opportunity for a conversation. So an example was, this was last spring, I think it was. My son's in third grade and my daughter's 14 years old at this time. And she makes a comment in class about something related to abortion. And my eight-year-old goes, well, what's abortion, dad? Mm -hmm. Well, he's eight. In some ways, I wish I didn't have to have this conversation with him. But rather than change the topic and run it away, I just said, well, son, an abortion, sometimes a woman will get pregnant and decide for different reasons she doesn't want to keep the baby. Why would she do that, dad? And I just said, well, here's a few reasons why. And I said, just keep in mind, we need to be loving towards women, whether they've had an abortion or not. We also got to ask, what does scripture say about the unborn? Bam, we moved on. So it's both. We need to be listening and intentional, but also asking questions. So one practical thing dads can do is hopefully you're carving out time to have meals together or driving the car. Hey, tell me what you guys were talking about in history class today. Hey, tell me what's going on in science class. Mm. Hey, what'd you think about this recent movie? Hey, Mm. did you see the story that's going on in culture? Just ask questions is one of the greatest tools we have. Now, if as parents, we jump in, we just lecture then kids are not going to want to engage. But if we ask questions non-judgmentally, we listen and we have conversation, it doesn't mean every conversation will be awesome, but many will. Mm -hmm. And over time, you'll be able to influence your kid's belief system. So I guess to answer your question, number one, be intentional at times by ask questions, but also listen well for when topics come up and then just engage and use that as an opportunity. Yeah, that's good. You know, the super cheesy, but it's super true as well. That saying that says, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. I'm feeling that as you're talking about the way that you describe talking to your kids. It's going to come down to, they've got a friend at school or a teacher that they like or a coach that's pretty cool or whatever, and he's preaching, saying this thing. And they're going to have a teacher, whether it's in fourth grade or in college, who is cool and relevant and whatever. And They respect and educated, and they're going to say something exactly opposite of what they've heard at home. And then it's going to be like, well, mom or dad seems outdated, or does dad even like me? You know what I mean? Like this guy, this coach likes me, Mm -hmm. or my friends like me, and dad always seems kind of grumpy or mad. Or like it comes back to what you keep saying, or I guess it, it seems like it was like, well, I know dad loves me a ton, and dad's invested so much in me, and he's saying the opposite of what this person just said. And so now I have to really wrestle with what is true here 
But to even have that kind of conversation, they have to at least know you like them, you're for them, you're on their team, you're for their good. And so I think that that's a huge one, you know, like the that first piece is that I, they know that I love them, I'm invested in them. They don't assume those things. And then I'm I'm a good listener, which just reiterates that they know that I love them. I guess the third one that I probably, I'm guessing a lot of guys are going to feel stuck on is like, all right, I've got opinions on these hot topics, but I don't know how to point my kids back to the Bible on these topics. What would you say to that? So there's nothing wrong with sharing your opinions. I think there's a time and place to do that. But I think questions and asking and engaging teaches kids how to think for one. And I want my kids not to believe something just because dad said, but to believe something because it's true. Yeah. And so I want to ask questions and eventually I can say something like, let me tell you what I think about this. And then I want to know what you think about what I think. Are you okay with that? Sure, dad. Then you jump in and then you share and you have a conversation. So I just want to make sure we're not top down power play. Kids believe this without engaging, without listening. It tends to not settle as well into what they they believe. So with scripture, I'm just always thinking, what's the intersection between this point and scripture? Now, some issues like climate change, I mean, the Bible is very clear that we are to care for the environment. We are to steward it. Now, of course, there's questions, how much is there climate change? How much are humans contributing to it? Right. And what policies will actually be effective? Right. But we can at least start and say, the world is not an accident. God has placed us here to care for it. So if there is climate change or we're causing some damage, we should be tuned into this as Christians and be leading the conversation. So there's an intersection with issues like that. I think there's an intersection with topics like immigration. In the Old Testament, Abraham was an immigrant Moses was a kind of immigrant. Mm -hmm. Jesus emigrated or immigrated to Egypt and back. Like there's a sense to care for the other, especially the foreigner. Now we have to be careful because the idea of a nation state is different today than in the time of the scriptures. So we don't want to overreach, Mm. but there is an intersection there with biblical ideas. Now gun control, of course there weren't guns, but there's been a debate within scripture about self-defense, when it's okay, pacifism versus just war. So that's an issue where there's not a direct connection, but there's an indirect one. And I just want to ask kids questions. Sometimes it's simplest. Can you think of any passages that would relate to the gun control debate? Can you think of anything Hmm. and just see where it sits? Hmm. Does Jesus' command to love our neighbors have anything to say to gun control. When is it okay to take another life? Like, I just want to ask questions. The older I get, the less concerned I am that kids land exactly where I do on most issues. There's some issues that I am concerned they land on, like Mm (laughs) pro-life. That one's pretty clear in scriptures and we're dealing with life Mm -hmm. and being against racial injustice or something like that. But a lot of them, I'm more concerned that they realize the Bible is authoritative The Bible speaks to every issue, and we need to live out what we think is true. That biblical approach is helpful and kind of frees me up from feeling like I've got to lecture to my kids on every particular issue. My job is to model, to engage, go back to scripture, challenge them to think, 
and trust the Holy Spirit in their lives after that. That's good, man. So we were out to dinner last night and I don't know where my son, I don't know if there was a form or something. I don't know how this came up, but he said something like, or maybe the waitress said something like sir or ma'am or something. (laughs) Somehow gender came up and he said, Mm. he like made the joke. He was like, are you male, female or non-binary? And my son's 11 and we Mm. homeschool. So this is not like, so I was like caught off. I'm like, where did you even learn these words? You know, like I didn't even know he knew these words. Mm. But that's how pervasive culture is, right? It's probably watched one YouTube thing or saw one thing, heard something on the news that we were watching in the background, like something. He heard the words. He got the he got the context. And this is a big one, right? So this is probably something that we you turn on the news today or you go into any classroom today, you're probably going to hear these kind of conversations. So let's just take like, this is in, in your book, chapter 17, transgender ideology. How do you talk through the gospel? How do you talk through biblical principles, most inevitably, you're going to have this conversation with your kids this year, most likely. Like you start with the questions, you kind of get a framework of where they are, but how do you point it back to like, okay, what is God's design? Like, how do you have that conversation with a eight-year-old and a 14-year-old? One of the ways I do this a lot with my kids is through film. Mm. So we've watched shows like The Flash, especially superhero films, My older son has been raised on kind of this Marvel generation, and it's pretty clear that in the past, I would say, two years or so, that they're intentionally working in a narrative that you might say is more pro-LGBTQ than they did for the original 10 years. Yeah, for sure. Seen it in the recent Thor film, in Eternals, in the Doctor Strange film, worked in so I've allowed my my nine-year-old to see some of those films. Of course, my 18-year-old has, my 15-year-old, and we just talk about it. I, in fact, just yesterday, I was talking to my son about the recent Thor movie because he'd actually seen it and I haven't. I was like, hey, what'd you think about? And I don't just ask him those questions. I'm like, hey, what'd you think about the story itself? How good was Christian Bale, the bad guy? How would you compare it to other Thor movies? Did you feel like you were being preached at? What was certain agendas embedded within this film? Do you think mm. they sacrificed the quality of the film to push these ideas? And in the middle of talking about these other things, we just talked about this with my 18-year-old. And I haven't taken my nine-year-old yet, but if I take him, we'll just kind of have that conversation mm. where we'll talk about it. So we've made this a pattern in our family that they just know and they expect dad's not going to lecture him, dad's not going to corner him. But dad cares about what they think. Dad's concerned that they see things biblically and is not against the world. You know, Mm -hmm. this the book of Rebels Manifesto was not a culture warrior book. Yeah. But I am concerned that they think Christianly about these. And so in conversation, we'll go back and say, what does scripture say about marriage? What does it say about gender? At what point should we not watch films anymore, if ever? And we just have this ongoing conversation on topics like that. We had a kid at at our, well, let's just say a kid who was close in a certain setting with my daughter. She plays sports. She's at a Christian school. She goes to camp. So one of these settings who was transgender. Mm -hmm. And that just gave us an opportunity to say, okay, how do we love this person? Would you use the pronouns? Would you not? What does scripture say? So I use things that come up like this that a lot of people run from to say, hey, here's an opportunity to try to engage better and take our kids back to scripture 
so they can hopefully live it out. Where did you land on that? I mean, I haven't had that situation happen in our family yet, but I'm like, it's bound to happen. My kids are young, but they're going to grow into the age sooner or later where somebody, one of our kids' friends is going to say they're transgender and then there's a pronoun debate. Where did you land as a family, if you don't mind me asking? I don't mind you asking. You actually will find some debate within the larger McDowell family Mm. about whether personal pronouns are permissible to use or not. Mm. So I won't say who it was to call them out. We had a conversation this summer at a big family reunion and realized, wow, two of us differ pretty firmly. Mm. And one perspective is that if you're using a preferred pronoun, you are somewhat being forced by the other person. It's a power play to affirm something that's false. Mm. And I'm not going to lie and say something that's not true to encourage somebody's delusion. Now, that's a strong way of putting it. I'm just saying that's how the perspective is Mm. looking at it. I'm not going to say I'm not going to use a faulty pronoun because it's affirming something that's not true. The other side would say, look, you got to meet people where they are at. And a word is just a word until this person knows Jesus and can have the transformation from the inside out. Using a pronoun is going to keep that conversation alive. And it's not affirming some entire ideology. It's just recognizing where somebody's at, wanting to be engaged in their life, and hoping you have a chance to meet them where they are at. That's kind of where the debate is at, so to speak. When it's all said and done on that particular topic, I'm less concerned exactly where, for example, my daughter lands. Mm. I'm more concerned that she says, okay, the scriptures say anything about God's design for what it means to be human. The scripture talk about our gender and our biological sex. What does it mean to love somebody in this case, who's not a Christian If we're approaching it through that heart and desire, then where they particularly land on this one is secondary to me. Now, that's different. I think there's some issues that we can just agree to disagree on. There's others like same-sex marriage. Scripture is very clear about God's design for marriage. One man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime. But whether we should use preferred pronouns or not, obviously the Bible doesn't speak to that because it wasn't an issue then. So it's a matter of wisdom and reflection more than explicit biblical teaching. Yeah, man, that's challenging. That's a challenging, I appreciate that perspective because, you know, as you were describing the various, the two ends of that kind of spectrum on those, that debate, on one hand, I'm like, well, dude, I don't want to affirm something that's just not true. I'm not going to say something that's not true, you know? So I would go with, I would probably when I asked the question, I was like, I'm, I'm probably the first one in your response. I'm like, I'm not going to say that if it's just not true. I don't want to affirm that in you. But then second, as you described kind of the second argument or debate there, perspective, I'm like, well, it's always different when you're looking somebody in the eye, right? Like if that kid's at my house That's right. and I know that our family has loved on that kid for a long time and we've tried to really mm. be a good neighbor and to be on mission and to see ourselves as missionaries in this culture and in this town in this neighborhood. And I I don't want to cut off relationship with them and their family or this child or whatever. Then it's it's always harder, man. It's harder when you look them in the face. And it it just makes me ask different questions. I I usually have strong opinions on things. And then I meet somebody and it's like, my heart feels a little more like how I think Jesus's heart probably would have felt in those moments. 
and the way that he would have looked at people who were suffering and hurting by their own sin and stepping outside of his design. And so, yeah, I appreciate that. Even your response was was challenging to me. And I appreciate how you said, well, and there's some of them, it's just like, well, that it is just black and white. Like we just have to come back to the scripture on this one. And there's, I can't really debate on it. I just have to, I, the scriptures are really clear and I have to be clear about what, what the scriptures say and how we live that out in our family. Um, and sometimes that's at the cost of a, of a close relationship. Anyway, that's a, again, me just kind of rambling there. You have a chapter on artificial intelligence, which I think is really interesting because I don't even think I, if somebody was like, Jared, what is artificial intelligence? I don't even think I could say it. <laughs> like, I don't even know, you know, like how to describe mm. it. But I'm curious, like you put it in a book that has a lot of these kind of like hot topic buttons, but I don't know if I wrote a list of like hot topic buttons, artificial intelligence probably wouldn't have come on my list because I'm not that smart. What are your thoughts on that? Or from a biblical perspective, why should we be thinking about it as dads? Well, when you organize a book, you pick topics that people will immediately go, wow, I got to discuss this. So issues of sexuality, issues of gun control. Those are so pressing in the news. Artificial intelligence, I've gotten a lot of response like what you described here, like, oh, I didn't expect that. Yeah. But it's so embedded within our culture. And it's probably going to be one of the big topics of conversations over the next three to five years hmm. that I felt like I had to at least give some tools to students to think about it. So a lot of students don't realize, like I wrote a few in here, you know, Amazon uses these sophisticated algorithms to track every single product that you buy or visit and tries to sell stuff to you based upon what you have visited before. Now, they're using artificial intelligence, at least in the sense of algorithms, to try to manipulate us to buy certain things. Things like social media platforms, they're basically designed to keep you maximally on a platform for as long as possible. They understand brain chemistry. They understand all the possibilities to manipulate us. I'm not necessarily saying those things are wrong, but even Uber uses a certain kind of artificial intelligence to manage drivers with routes. It's all around us and it's only going to increase. There's now a lot of talks about robot theology. How much are robots going to be integrated into our lives? And is that okay? There's talk about like friendship with robots. Can you be a friend with a robot? Mm. Like these are bizarre questions that science fiction writers have been wrestling with for a long time. But this generation, in many ways, they're becoming real. Mm. So the interesting thing is by the time you write a chapter like this, you think it's almost out of date because it's yeah, changing totally. so fast. So I picked these general ones rather than some particular because it's just increasing so much. Now, by artificial intelligence, I don't mean that computers are ever going to be able to think and become conscious like we do. I don't think that's ever going to happen for philosophical reasons. Hmm. But they're becoming more sophisticated, becoming more human-like, becoming embedded into every area of our lives. I mean, I saw this thing on Instagram where it's like, here's some program that can write blogs and content for you. I was like, what? How does this work? I mean, what the world is just changing so fast. We just need some tools to think about it Christianly. So basically Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Being aware of how these ideas are shaping us can help us avoid their power 
and then in turn be transformed by thinking Christianly about it. You've used the word Christianly three times. I've never heard that word. I've, I've, I've been in the church world a long time. I've never heard anyone use that word. Why do you intentionally use that word and what does it mean to you? I'll interchange the word biblically or Christianly. I'm not sure if you threw it into a word document, if it would say bad spelling, not a real word, <laughs> yeah. but I use it in, intentionally to make people think that we can't compartmentalize our life and say, well, what I think about scripture applies to Sunday morning and Bible study Wednesday night when I go on a mission trip. But Christian Lee, in a sense, is a way we approach everything. How do I apply my Christian faith to thinking about politics, mm -hmm. to artificial intelligence, to watching a movie, to playing a sport, to going on a date? Everything is a part of God's creation. And so there is a Christian way to think about it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by thinking Christianly, as opposed to in a secular fashion, we run everything through the grid of scripture. It was Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch philosopher, who said, there's not a square inch of creation out of which God does not cry out, it's mine. Wow. That's really cool. That's a really beautiful way of saying that. How did you attack each chapter? Are you presenting mm. uh, kind of a lie and then here's a biblical truth? And then here's like, what was your approach to how the chapters are laid out? This actually an updated first book I wrote about 16 years ago. Mm. And that book had 10 chapters for no other reason than I thought books should have 10 chapters. <laughs> and then as I was writing this one, I was like, wait a minute, I'm a dad. What would be the most helpful tool with my own kids? Yeah. And I was like, I don't need 4,000 word chapters. I want 1,500 words. That's like three to four pages. Now, when you shorten the length of a chapter, it really forces you to be economical Every sentence, every paragraph counts if you want to just create a maximally helpful book. Yeah. So I started by saying, all right, if I remember, this is 35,000 to 40,000 words, 30 chapters. There's some intro ones, about 25 topics. And coming up with those topics was a matter of some were just easy looking at culture, talking with students. I put stuff on Twitter. I put stuff on, you know, Meta, Facebook, got feedback from students and youth pastors. What are the top? 25 issues students are dealing with. And then I just start off by saying, here's why this issue matters. And in almost every chapter, like you said, I walk through some of the myths about this idea. Mm -hmm. Like when it comes to gun control, people say things as simply like, well, guns don't kill people, people do. And I'm like, well, people kill people through guns. We should at least ask the question, what kind of guns do we want normal people having? I mean, we put a limit on tanks, right? We don't want someone to have a tank, so we should have some limit. Where's that limit and why? Mm -hmm. So I just kind of walk through these simplistic myths that people have about a range of topics and then always go back to scripture and say, what does scripture say about this? What does it mean to think Christianly? And then at the end, what are two or three, sometimes four practical things that we can do? And a lot of times it's just have a conversation with a friend about this. There's some real simple things that we can do, like in the chapter on the environment, just be aware of the environment around you. If you see trash on the floor and you're a Christian, pick it up. Like, let's all care for the environment. That's something easy that we could do. It sets us apart. So I guess to answer your question, I show why the issue matters to students, walk through myths give a biblical perspective on it, and then practical things that everybody can do to live out and make a difference on this issue 
in their daily life. I like that approach. For you as a dad, just personally, as you, it sounds like you've already, you have an 18-year-old as your oldest, you said? Yep. Yeah. So as you start to send out your children, how are you measuring success as a dad? Like, what will you feel like, Mm. here's how I know I did a good job as a dad, or here's what I'm aiming for? You know, it's easy to measure success by results, but we don't have control over the results ultimately of what our kids believe and how they live. So I don't think we should measure success by something we can't control. I think we measure by what we can. And the question is, did I model a life, my relationship with my wife, do I live a life? that is compelling to my kids. That's number one. Number two, have I really loved and cared for them as a dad with my time, with my discipline? And third, have I just intentionally engaged them spiritually to learn, whether that's through conversation, whether that's sending them to certain events or training things like Summit Ministries I'm a huge fan of, my son to Canacup Camps, et cetera. And have I just intentionally done my best to pass on my faith to them? That's all I can really control. And of course, I've got to have a lot of grace in there because, you know, my son, he graduated from high school. So it's insane how much you start looking back and going, wow. And I can tell you, I don't have regrets. I mean, I really don't. But I certainly look back at some things like, you know, I could have done this better and I could have done that better and I made that mistake. But I just remember, Jared, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Mm. So the times that I failed my kids, especially, you know, my son, because he's older, he knows that I love him. He knows that I love his mom. He knows that I love the Lord. So I'm able to have some grace for the ways that I think I've I've fallen short. So mm. Bottom line, I interviewed Os Guinness, who's one of the greatest Christian thinkers of our day on our podcast. And I can't remember if we put that on our YouTube channel or not, but I interviewed Os Guinness and I said, Os, he's in his seventies or close to eighties. I said, what's your legacy going to be? And he goes, Sean, the idea of legacy is a secular idea. All that matters is that when I stand before the Lord, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that what success is? Mm. Well done as a parent. You loved your kid. You sacrificed for them, you tried to model your faith, and you intentionally tried to engage them in spiritual opportunities, whether they believe or not. Mm. If you've done that, I think you've been a successful parent. Mm. You have, I mentioned you have the YouTube plaque behind you, and you mentioned YouTube in that last point of your conversation there. What are you trying to do on YouTube? Like if somebody stumbled across your YouTube channel, like what's your goal there? My lane is worldview, apologetics, and cultural engagement with an emphasis on reaching the next generation. Hmm. Now, I do longer form stuff there. So TikTok and Instagram, I will answer quick questions, one minute, 90 seconds. I regularly load answers to some of the toughest questions. Hmm. That's shorter form. YouTube, I do longer form. So I just load a video on forgiveness, which was kind of rare for me, 30 minutes. But usually my interviews are an hour plus. Mm. I want to train and equip and give people depth on YouTube. So I interview mostly Christians. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing an interview coming up on the Exodus. 
Mm. I've got a ton coming up, evidence for the Bible, evidence for intelligent design, near-death experiences, super fascinating topics. But I also regularly have conversations with non-believers not so much debates, but I want to model for people. It's It's been kind of encouraging, Jared. I've had a number of people say they met me and they've used the word mentoring. And let's say, Sean, you are mentoring for me how to have conversations with people who see the world differently. Mm. So I've had atheists on, agnostics on. I had an LGBTQ activist on. I had a, what do you call himself? An atheist New York media elite. And we just had a conversation. It was wow. awesome. That that was his title, tongue in cheek. <laughs> I've had a progressive Christian on and I want to ask good questions, model listening, but just how to have, let's say, substantive conversations with people in our cancel culture who see the world very differently that are mutually respectful. Yeah, that's cool. What, and do you do that in podcast form too? It sounds like you have a podcast. So some of these I take and put as bonuses on my podcast, but okay. the podcast is out of Biola University. It's called Think Biblically. Okay. And that's 30 minutes. Yeah. So about the length of your podcast, roughly just enough for the average commute. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty much the same thing. We want to think biblically about everything. It's about thinking Christianly about art, about film, about history, every topic. Let's think Christianly about it. Yeah. Well, man, this has been really fascinating. You've really helped me think kind of in different angles and take things from an angle I hadn't thought about. So I really appreciate you doing that and taking the time to help us think through some stuff. You've put it all in the book form, which I'm really excited to dive into the book at a deeper level, A Rebel's Manifesto, Choosing Truth, Real Justice, and Love Amid the Noise of Today's World. And man, there's a lot of noise in today's (laughs) world. (laughs) So, man, this seems like a really helpful tool, especially for us dads who are trying to figure this stuff out and have these kind of conversations with our kids, which are inevitable for us. But, man, thank you. Appreciate your time. I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping in over at your uh, YouTube channel and kind of checking out more and, and just finding some more resources from what you're doing. So thank you so much. It's my privilege, Jared. Thanks for having me on and keep up the good work. Thanks, brother. Hey guys, as always, I hope that episode was helpful for you on your journey of becoming more like Jesus and helping your family do the same. Again, if you're not part of our closed community, make sure you come jump over and get involved in the conversation over there. Meet like-minded guys. You can do that by going to dadtire.com, click that community tab, and you can jump right in today. All right. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.